Spring is my favorite time to start a new workout routine. With the weather warming up, it feels easier to get into the rhythm of things. Whether you have 20 minutes or an hour for a Pilates class or outdoor guided walk, Peloton has everything you need to help you get going. Get a head start on summer with Peloton at OnePeloton.com. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. My heart uh, is still in Gaza. The Israelis want to make Gaza uninhabitable. Yet the West remains largely silent to the cries of Gaza. It burns right through and it continues to burn. You have to cut it out. It's the difference between a flood and a tsunami. The magnitude, the scale, the intensity. We can't allow uh, those who advocate for genocide, we can't allow them our vote. Had the Israelis killed 10,000 French or Swiss or Ukrainian or British children, would the... um, reaction have been the same. All of this perfect storm is almost like a a medieval attempt through starvation and epidemics to wipe out the population. Where the bombs and the bullets don't get you, the 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 disease will 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 surely get you. It is because they are the children of a lesser God. You know, they're brown, they are Muslim, they are Arab, they come from the South. They don't matter as much as European children. These are states that were either built on genocide or where genocide is an intrinsic component of their national identity. When we consider the ongoing slaughter that is Gaza and the West's complicity, it's not the world leaders East or West, who have captured our collective imagination. It's the ordinary people who have made the difference. It's the journalists, the poets, the doctors and nurses that have helped the world see the atrocities of settler colonialism and its abject violence. Certainly, a diffused media has given the world, possibly for the very first time, the ability to witness the horrors of Israel But it is people like my guests today who have been able to articulate a narrative that rises above the deliberate propaganda that passes as political commentary. Professor Ghassan Abu Sitta is a multi-award winning plastic and reconstructive surgeon. He has worked in multiple war zones, including Syria, Yemen, Iraq and Gaza. He was until recently working to save lives in Gaza's war-ravaged and ill-equipped hospitals. Dr. Ghassan Abu Sitta, assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah and welcome to The Thinking Muslim. Alaikum salam and thank you very much for your kind invitation. Well, it's wonderful to have you with us, uh, Dr. Ghassan. Um, On the 7th of October, you were sitting in your home uh, in London. Uh, Two days later, you were on the border, uh, the border of Gaza and Egypt. What motivated you to move from relative comfort here in in the UK to a war zone? I think by the middle of the day, um, on Saturday the 7th, I realized that what was coming to Gaza was going to be absolutely horrendous. Um, But even then, I thought this is going to be a worse version of the 2014 war, which I which had until then been the worst war Israel had waged on Gaza. Mm. But nothing uh, compared to what um, has happened. Um, 
around five or six o'clock, um, you know, my wife and I had a conversation that we've had in multiple wars where uh, we agreed that the right thing to do is for me to go. And then I got in touch with MSF, uh, my contact at the Middle East cell at MSF. Um, uh, and we discussed the need to go, um, the problems of getting a team through the other um, uh, crossing, which is Erez, mm. which was right in the middle of the of the clashes, mm. and that my ability to get through Rafah uh, from Egypt would be ideal. Mm. By Sunday morning, I had my tickets. At three o'clock, I took the flight to to Cairo, and then overnight, Sunday night into Monday morning, I traveled uh, through the Sinai Desert to Rafah crossing. Mm. At the very beginning of um, my introduction, I probably use a pejorative term, ordinary people. Um, I mean, you've done something that's probably extraordinary. I mean, I was still processing what was happening in Gaza on the 7th of October, yet you had made a move to a war zone. Why? Why Abu Ghassan al I mean, you know, as a Palestinian, as the son of a family that became refugees in the Gaza Strip in 48. Mm. Um, for me, Gaza was always the closest thing to home. I, well, Even though I'd grown up in Kuwait, was born in Kuwait, my father had moved to Kuwait in the 50s with that generation of Palestinians that went to the Gulf. Um, Gaza was always home. Um, and it was always a place that, that, that I had almost my parallel career in war surgery had evolved. As a medical student, I had mm. gone as a volunteer to Gaza during the first intifada. Mm. As a junior surgeon, I'd gone uh, during the second intifada. And as my career progressed, I'd gone to Gaza for the different wars. 2009, 2012, 2014, 2021, the marches of return on the day the Americans moved their embassy. And so... Um, and and my wife comes from there. My children believe that this is their uh, home. And so that was, for me, the natural thing to do, even though I'd been to other wars. Yeah, I'd also been working for the previous couple of years on a project to set up a training program for plastic surgeons in Gaza right. with one of the British uh, medical charities. And therefore, I had a very good understanding of what the the capabilities in the system were and what the shortfalls were. And I felt that my skills uh, would be an added value if I would go. I would like to discuss your experiences when you were there in Gaza, but you were there for 43 days. Um, Gaza today, of course, has gone through uh, a tumultuous time. Um, how have you left Gaza? What is the state of Gaza today? So the reason I left was that this medical um, and the, the health system had been so damaged and so destroyed mm. that when I finally got to the southern part of Gaza in the last two days of the war, yeah. I discovered that even though the hospitals had not yet been uh, targeted, and they have since, the shortage of material, the shortage of medication meant that really there was, there was no relative shortage of surgeons. Actually, there was a surplus of surgeons because the system had shrunk to the point where you had people waiting around trying to take their patients to the operating rooms, but the operating rooms were not enough of them and there wasn't the material to do the majority of the surgery. Mm. And so that health system, since I left, what the Israelis did in the north, which is systematically destroy one hospital after the other, has been happening in the south. They've destroyed Shahada al-Aqsa Hospital, which is in the central zone. They're now targeting uh, um, uh, Nasser Hospital in Khan Yunis. And they're moving from one hospital to the other. As part of the same central tenant of the Israeli war, which is the destruction of the health system as a way of making Gaza uninhabitable um, in uh, so that in the ceasefire that would follow, the ethnic cleansing would continue. Mm. And the Israelis are all already touting this idea of voluntary uh, uh, voluntary transfer of Palestinians, mm. as if 
watching your children die of wound would not would constitute a voluntary exit if you were decided to leave Gaza to seek treatment for your family members. And that's what the Israelis want to do. So Hassan, you were initially posted to Al-Ahli Hospital in the northern part of Gaza. Um, and then the war begins, or the so-called war begins. Um, what did you witness in those early days? So my first arrival on the Tuesday, and, and I had gotten in on Monday, but we were pinned down in a house for that day from the bombing. Right. I arrived at Shifa Hospital. Okay. Uh, Shifa has a burns unit, um, and uh, that's where the department that I was working on training with um, existed. And I stayed there. Um, until the numbers of patients were so overwhelming to the system that we were having patients who are waiting for weeks to go to surgery. And so the decision was made between myself and my colleagues that let me try to use some of the other hospitals and take some patients away from Shifa Hospital to operate. And that was really the first day that I went to Al-Ahli Hospital. And that was the 17th of October, the day of the massacre at Al-Ahli Hospital. I arrived that morning, and by the evening, that hospital was targeted with a missile. Yeah. Uh, there's been a lot of discussion about the deliberate targeting of hospitals. Israel uh, continues to pursue the line, but it, there is no targeting of health facilities in, in either the north or the south. You say that there is a deliberate policy of degrading the health uh, services in 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 uh, in Gaza generally. Why? Why would Israel do that? I think the stated aim and one of the bizarre things about this war is how open mm. uh, Israeli leaders, military uh, and political leaders, have been about their genocidal intent, yeah. about ethnic cleansing of, of Gaza, emptying Gaza. One of them said, "This is Nakba Part Two. All of these open. Uh, admissions driven by 75 years of Western impunity yeah. um, means that the Israelis want to make Gaza uninhabitable. And one of the main ways you can make a place uninhabitable is by completely destroying the health system. Mm -hmm. And so they haven't just destroyed the health system by one single means, i.e. bombing, uh, 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 surrounding. They have attacked them in multiple ways. They have bombed them. They have sent quadcopter sniper drones to fire into uh, patients. They have killed over 300 doctors, nurses, and ambulance staff. In those hospitals that were destroyed and evacuated, once the Israelis' uh, land invasion happened, they dynamited these hospitals. Mm. Those hospitals that reopened in the north in an attempt to treat patients were then attacked. They were surrounded. Snipers fired into these hospitals. And then Israeli soldiers went in and arrested some of the doctors. And they used fuel uh, uh, as a way of, of cutting electricity out uh, from these hospitals. Mm. They targeted the solar panels on top of these hospitals to make sure that they're completely dependent on fuel. And so there was a kind of systematic dismantling of the health system rather than just single attacks on each facility. And what happened in the north has happened in the south and will continue because it's a central tenant of this hospital, uh, of this war, the destruction of the health system. Right. Um, we are also seeing the other component of the destruction of the health system, which is, and this is again, I mean, this is the bizarre thing. This is Israeli uh, politicians have admitted wanting to do this, which mm. is the spread of epidemics. Today, the Ministry of Health has announced that there is an outbreak of hepatitis A. Uh, we have had outbreaks of diarrheal diseases, of respiratory diseases. Cholera and typhus are just around the corner because there is no health facilities. The water and sewage systems have been destroyed. People are living in cramped, uh, 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 accommodation in ho in schools that have been um, now occupied by tens of thousands of, of internally displaced families. Yeah. Uh, people are uh, malnourished and so their immune system is down. So all of this perfect storm is almost like a, a medieval attempt through starvation and epidemics 
to wipe out the population. Where the bombs and the bullets don't get you, the 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 disease will 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 surely get you. We hear and we know that the majority of the victims uh, are children. Children have died in a disproportionate uh, in disproportionate numbers uh, during this um, during this war or this slaughter. Um, can you describe the types of injuries you saw uh, in those children? So, according to UNICEF, around 5,000 have had amputation. Uh, from my own experience, the majority have had multiple limbs amputated. Um, we know from the medical literature that a child with a war-related amputation will end up with between 9 and 12 surgeries by the time they reach adult age. They need each prosthetic changed every six months as they grow. We have uh, um, seen um, children with major burns. Over 40% of their bodies burnt. There are um, some incendiary uh, uh, bombs that the Israelis have used. And we've, you know, at one stage early on in the war, we had uh, over 100 patients at Shifa Hospital with more than 40% body surface area burn. Shrapnel, uh, regular shrapnel from explosives, uh, kids taken out from um, buildings that have collapsed on top of them. Um, uh, special uh, explosives like the one used at uh, Ahli Hospital, which is a, a Hellfire drone that is a fragmentation drone. The casing of the drone disintegrates into discs that causes multiple injuries against individuals. Describe how that works, the Hellfire drone. So it explodes at the very surface of impact, so rather than burrow in, yeah. which means that when it does explode, the design of the casing means that it, the casing then becomes these discs, and, and it's, it produces very characteristic injuries where the amputations are in high part, you know, in the middle of the thigh where you don't expect the amputations to happen because with regular explosions, the amputations happen in the weaker part of the bodies around the joints, where yeah. this mid-thigh, mid-arm. And multiple shrapnels and numbers of, you know, the wounded are is staggering, not just at Al-Ahli where they killed 480 uh, uh, of the families that were taking refuge in the in the hospital, but I remember uh, towards the end they targeted a mosque where families had been taking refuge with a similar missile, and everybody came in with shrapnel, uh, and we were taking that pieces of metal out of their bodies. Um, on that night, I did amputations on six kids. Um, the numbers are just staggering. The ability of of that that uh, that weapon to to cause destruction and then we started as i said seeing quadcopters being employed and these are drones that have sniper guns and they are used against hospital in that they are deployed in the areas leading to the hospital and so patients that are trying to get there or families trying to get to these hospitals i fired on and we see we see these high-velocity gunshot wounds from the snipers. And we, you know, I remember a child and his mother, he passed away. She had a, uh, a chest injury. And one day we had 20 of these quadcopter gunshot wounds coming in. Uh, and so um, the, the full range of um, armament, and I believe some of them experimental, mm. some of them uh, as uh, grotesque as it sounds, as part of the marketing of Israeli-made weapons. Yeah. And as the Israeli manufacturing um, weapons manufacturers say, battle-tested, mm. when they want to tell their, per, their uh, clients that this has been used on Gaza and they can see the injuries, um, we, can see the, the, you know, we can see new weapons being used as a way of, you know, as a way of, of marketing these weapons. Can you expand on or explain uh, the types of weapons that cause the burns that you witnessed uh, in your in your medical rounds? So at the beginning, we were seeing major burns yeah. with no shrapnel. So major burns as in the depth and the surface area. 
my feeling that these were incendiary bombs that create a um, fireball that engulfs the, the patient yeah. and the, 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 the victim. But soon after, we started seeing white phosphorus. The white phosphorus I'd seen in Gaza in 2009, and it has a very characteristic burn because it's a chemical burn, mm. and it kind of burns right into the body. Um, How far does it go? It keeps going really? until it is no longer exposed to oxygen, and then it goes off. Um, and so I was taking it from, you know, the remnant of the pellets from around the bone, around the ribs, yeah. you know. Um, it burns right through, and it continues to burn. You have to cut it out rather than it douse it out. Um, you've been in multiple war zones previously. You were in Syria, Iraq, Yemen. Uh, you also experienced the previous wars in, in Gaza, uh, 2009, 2012, uh, 2014. How did your experience measure up or compare to those war zones that you've experienced previously? I think it's the difference between a flood and a tsunami. Really? The magnitude, the scale, the intensity, the fact that the health system is a central component of the military strategy, mm. uh, the, the amount of destruction. Mm. Um, in 2014 war, the Israelis used to target buildings. In this war, the Israelis would target a uh, whole neighborhood. You'd see the whole neighborhood basically just go up in flames and then a bowl of dust and then the whole neighborhood would disappear. And we then discovered that is, uh, the United States had been supplying Israel with these 2,000 pound bombs that are capable when you drop six or seven of them in the same neighborhood of taking out the whole neighborhood. Mm. And that's why there's over 10,000 people missing in Gaza believed still buried under the rubble. Uh, there isn't the heavy lifting equipment to take out these. And this is fueling the public health catastrophe as the rain comes in, as the war drags on, these bodies disintegrate, uh, uh, and they become part of the 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 fuel um, of the epidemics because they seep into the drinking water. They get everywhere, and the magnitude um, of viciousness is uncomprehensible. Even when you see it yourself, really? the killing machine, the, the the diabolical killing machine that has been unleashed and continues to be unleashed on people in Gaza on multiple levels um, is is uh, even as you see it happening in front of you your mind refuses to accept what's happening yeah Ghassan uh, um, one of the visually we saw uh, a tremendous um, resilience in um, the Gaza people and we continue to see that um, you experienced that firsthand can you describe that to, to our viewers, please? It's always been inspiring. Uh, um, one of the reasons why I've always gone back to Gaza, not just as a Palestinian. A lot of the uh, uh, colleagues of mine who are not Palestinian or Western doctors who continue to go back to Gaza for 20 years and 30 years explain the same thing, that steadfastness, which is a when... Um, Staying alive, embracing life, mm. uh, becomes an act of resistance against this uh, uh, death machine. Mm. Um, and you watch it in, amongst your colleagues who continue to serve, even though they, many of them have had devastating personal loss as a result of this war, and you see it in the patients. And a lot of it is driven by faith. Uh, deep deep faith uh, about, um, you know, what we call uh, uh, in Islam al-ihtisab. Ihtisab is a concept in, in Sharia uh, that if you are able to tolerate these uh, uh, assaults on you and your life because you believe that God is, is testing you, that this steadfastness is part of, is a form of prayer, is a form of ibadah. Yeah. Um, and so, and also that faith uh, uh, has, uh, it keeps people uh, uh, 
their belief that this is part of God's uh, work and that, you know, that even if God's creatures will not come to their aid, eventually God will, uh, uh, his, through his mercy, come. Spring is my favorite time to start a new workout routine. With the weather warming up, it feels easier to get into the rhythm of things. Whether you have 20 minutes or an hour for a Pilates class or outdoor guided walk, Peloton has everything you need to help you get going. Get a head start on summer with Peloton at OnePeloton.com. Want to get a chiseled look in the jawline? Sculpt and shape your jawline with added volume from Juvederm Volux XC. Juvederm Volux XC is an injectable gel specifically designed to be robust enough to improve moderate to severe loss of jawline definition. And it is the first and only hyaluronic acid filler approved for the jawline. Add volume to your jawline for a chiseled look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M dot com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. To their aid. Yeah. Uh, you must have made really strong relationships with the doctors and nurses at uh, the hospitals that you worked in. Um, uh, can you describe again, uh, you must have an extra level of resilience to be a medical professional in, in these war zones, and particularly in Gaza. Um, just describe their mindset that you experience on a daily basis. I mean, I'll, I'll give you an example uh, of a colleague of mine and a friend of mine, uh, Dr. Muhammad Abed. Mm. So uh, Dr. Abed is an orthopedic surgeon. We started out... Uh, in this war, um, he was based at one of the hospitals in Jabalia camp in the north. We worked together uh, when I moved to Jabalia hospital, mm. um, to Lauda hospital in Jabalia. When that hospital was threatened by the Israelis, we relocated the limb reconstruction work that we were doing back to Shifa hospital. We worked together at Shifa. When the Israelis surrounded Shifa, he opted to stay with his patients. And so they were cut off for over 12 days mm -hmm. uh, with snipers shooting into the hospital. When the Israelis finally allowed the patients and the staff to leave, he went back to the north, worked in the Indonesian hospital. Yeah. When the Israeli artillery bombed the Indonesian hospital and the hospital ceased to function, he moved to Lauda Hospital, which is down the road in Jabalia. Then Israeli snipers surrounded that hospital and started firing into him, and he was wounded by an Israeli sniper. Luckily, he wasn't killed. A week later, he was operating again, and he's operating at the moment at Lauda Hospital, mm. despite all of this. Another colleague of mine who, has, who was born in Dublin and has an Irish passport was at Shifa Hospital, remained with his patients throughout the siege of Shifa, then moved to the European hospital, and, and now is at the European hospital in Rafah, working with, with, um, with his patients, refusing to leave, even though he has, he has the ability to leave. And so one is in awe of their sense of duty that they have towards their community. Yeah. Uh, and you see these young final year medical students who have, you know, stepped up and, and are acting as fully-fledged doctors um, uh, in the emergency departments. As much as Israel has singled out the health system for its attack, yeah. the health system has singled itself out as a main form of resistance against the Israeli war. And the nurses and the doctors have paid a heavy price. Over 300 doctors and nurses have been killed. Um, over 40 have been arrested by the Israelis, and we will soon enough start watching 
show trials of doctors because that's why the Israelis are, are, have arrested them and are torturing them. There has been reports uh, from some of the people who had been released from these jails that the Israelis are targeting the doctors that they have for extra uh, uh, torture and, uh, uh, and mistreatment. And so all of this uh, battle between life and the Israeli death machine um, at the forefront are the health professionals in Gaza. Kassana uh, Busita, you are an eyewitness to what is, can only be described as a genocide, yet the West remains largely silent to the cries of Gaza. What lay behind that? Why are they so duplicitous, I think is the term you used previously. Why are they so duplicitous in in their um, uh, dealings with um, uh, what is a horrendous uh, slaughter? So, obviously, this war has highlighted a major crisis in Western democracy. Mm. I mean, the streets around us, where we are now on Saturday, with filled were filled with hundreds of thousands of people mm. uh, uh, calling for an end to this war, mm. voicing their support for the Palestinian people. Yeah. And similar demonstrations were happening across the whole globe. So obviously, as we saw during the Iraq war, the crisis of democracy where it's the ruling elite in the West that is silencing or attempting to silence voices that are against the war mm. and are thwarting the will of the people. Um, and so when the government and the leadership of the Labour Party take positions that are diametrically opposed to the will of the British people. And similar things happen everywhere else in Europe. Um, I think it's not the West, but it's the Western elites who have, uh, uh, um, you know, have made a decision to um, completely disregard the democratic will of, of people. Mm. Um, so that's one part. And then there are another part. And this is, you know, this is something that we have to, we have to openly talk about. And there, there are genocidal states. I mean, I don't expect Canada to be opposed to genocide when it was burying native children in the schoolyard a few decades ago. Yeah. I don't expect the United States to think genocide of natives is a bad idea. I don't accept, expect Germany to think genocide is a bad idea. I mean, these are, you know, these are states that were either built on genocide or where genocide is an intrinsic component of their national identity. I mean, that's really, really interesting because we were taught to believe that um, these states have moved on, the end of history. You know, we've now got uh, the character of these states are liberal and democratic and... Um, uh, human rights becomes a cornerstone of uh, the international architecture. Uh, yet, despite all of this, we see um, a hunger actually to to protect and defend Israel. The ICJ, Germany, uh, put forward a, a case uh, defending uh, Israel against uh, the label uh, of genocide. Um, uh, how do we, um, I, I suppose, how do we navigate? what we see in the textbooks versus what we see in reality? I think, again, it has to be that we uh, see through the economic uh, uh, interests of the ruling classes in these countries. Mm. You know, there's a reason why the British government continues to give export licenses to British manufacturers. There is a reason why Germany has announced that it will be sending 10,000 tank shells to the Israeli army, because that makes money. Yeah. There is a, a reason uh, uh, why American interests in using Israel uh, to police the Middle East and ensure the, the compliance or the uh, 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 cowering of... Um, Arab governments in the region mm. through this ogre that these the Americans and the West has fostered. Yeah. And so um, these are political elites that 
you have used Israel and continue to use Israel as a weapon against the interests of people in the South, particularly in the Middle East. What is interesting is that this world is coming to an end mm. and where countries like South Africa are able to set the agenda for uh, international justice, where Namibia stands up to the Germans and reminds them of not only the fact that they wiped out 80% of N Namibia's population, but that they never acknowledged properly the way they did with the Holocaust because these were Africans and therefore not deserving of the same kind of acknowledgement and repentance that European Jews were entitled to. Mm -hmm. uh, um, and so we see a shifting world where the real international community, yeah. the Brazilians and the Indians and the Pakistanis and the uh, Africans and the Chinese uh, are the, the, the international community and not a handful of European countries and North American countries. And do you think there's a racial component here? I mean, we witness uh, the embrace of the Ukrainian struggle. Their refugees were embraced. You know, their struggle was embraced. Um, uh, maybe because they were white and Europeans. Um, but there is a sense of, you know, almost a, a dehumanizing of the Gazans in the Western press. I mean, is, have I gone too far there or do, do you agree? No, no. I mean, at the end of the day, we have to ask our a question. Had the Israelis killed 10,000 yeah. French or Swiss or Ukrainian or British children, would the... Um, reaction have been the same. And so the question is, so it's not the same. Is the world now accepting of the idea that you can kill 10,000 kids, 1% of the population, uh, uh, and get away with it? Or is it that it's the wrong kind of kids and therefore it's okay? Uh, um, that is an acceptable uh, uh, victim. And, and, and so, uh, and because the Ukraine war came so close before this war in Gaza, you can compare the outrage uh, and the moral indignation um, at the uh, deaths in Ukraine versus the moral, the lack of any moral uh, outrage um, at the multitude of, of you know, larger f figures in, in the Gaza Strip. It is because they are the children of a lesser god. They, you know, they're brown, they are Muslim, they are Arab, they come from the south they don't matter as much as European children uh, do. And, and that's that. We then need to kind of step back, and as painful as it is because the slaughter is continuing, you need, the West needs to understand that blood on this magnitude rewrites history. And that the, the, the world will not be the same after this war as it was before. And uh, the relationship between Muslim nations and Arab nations and the West will not be the same. I'm not t talking about, uh, uh, you know, um, extremist organ uh, uh, groups that, that... No, no, I'm talking about a much more fundamental erosion of that, uh, and, a, and a chasm between that will grow between the two places mm. where uh, not just Palestinians, but Palestinians, um, Egyptians, um, Pakistanis, Indians, Africans will ask, if you think so little of Palestinian children, then you think so little of my children. Mm. And therefore, we do not share the same world as you. And so this blind support that Western governments um, have given to Israel's uh, killing machine, there will be a reckoning um, and there will be historical consequences for it. Were you surprised at the response of the UK Labour Party uh, to this crisis? Uh, Keir Starmer, David Lammy, you know, two lawyers, human rights background, um, They've always fought the good fight uh, against uh, oppression, uh, 
yet they've been squarely behind the state of Israel, probably more so than a conservative party, in, in at least tonally, uh, of course, in actuality the same, but tonally, uh, they uh, gave more support to the Israeli killing machine. Did that surprise you in any way? I think we have been, I mean, the, the kind of the coup uh, at the leadership of, of the Labour Party that mm. brought these two uh, to the leadership was instigated to a large degree by the Israeli uh, embassy. We've seen the Al Jazeera documentaries and the Jazeera papers linking the Israeli embassy to what happened and, mm. and how they were brought to power or yeah. brought to leadership by them. Uh, but they represent the essence of the, the democratic crisis that we live in as citizens in this country where these elites have manipulated the democratic process to the point where people do not have real democratic alternative. Mm. Um, and that's the crisis that everybody is going to face in the next election. Mm. There's nothing ideologically or in terms of policy that differentiates the Labour and Conservative Party. Uh, and 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 what politicians don't understand and their slick advisors fail to tell them that people you see the 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 the, the accepted uh, uh, wisdom in politics in western politics is that people never vote on uh, on uh, um, foreign policy. policy yeah but actually the erosion of respect based on moral decision do affect people's choice. Mm. People vote for politicians they can trust and people will not trust these politicians yeah. because of the moral choices that they face. Yeah. You can't vote for someone whom you find morally nauseating. Yeah, that's really interesting. I mean, I've been somewhat involved in the Muslim vote campaign around the country. I don't know if you uh, if you may have picked this up. In the last few days, the constituency of Ilford North have selected an independent candidate, a young, articulate Palestinian uh, woman to stand against West Streeting. Um, uh, it seems like that's the first of probably many constituencies that may go in, in such a direction. Um, I mean, what's your... What's your reflections on where the Muslim vote may go in in this coming year? I mean, I think it is of paramount importance that we as Muslim citizens of this country yeah. make those politicians who supported this war, because this is not a war, this is a genocide. This is an attempt to wipe out a group of Muslims who live somewhere not very far. Yeah. We need to make sure that we make an example out of them in the next election yeah. so that it never happens again. So that any career-minded politician in the UK supporting a similar war in the future thinks twice about what would happen to their career if they were to go down that road. We need to use the Muslim vote and the you know people need to make sure that that they look at the the you know how their mp voted in the ceasefire uh, 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 vote in parliament yeah. and what statements they made uh, political activists need to make that information available to muslim families and voters when the time comes uh, to vote yeah i mean dr kassan i've met muslims now in multiple cities and i've made exactly that case that we can't allow uh, those who advocate for genocide we can't allow them our vote we can't give them our vote in the next election and we have to try to undermine that vote as much as possible i think the vast majority of of muslim voters of all backgrounds tend to agree with that but i do get maybe 10 percent a, min a minority but a sizable minority of, of muslims who say um that's true they have done what they've done but we have other interests and, you know, one needs to balance those interests, local interests, the planning permission of my local mosque or community centre. Uh, I just heard the other day from a, a community group in High Wycombe, uh, which is one of the probably 40 most important constituencies when it comes to 
uh, the the coming vote in terms of Muslims. And um, I heard from one constituency within that constituency, if, if you may, uh, who are telling their congregants within the mosque to vote Labour because it uh, will give them, Labour will give them um, some special privileges, maybe a planning permission or whatever it may be. I mean, how do you respond to that type of, that level of argument? I think at the essence, people need to understand that this is a genocidal decision. Yeah. These are political parties who found it acceptable to support the wiping out of a group of Muslims. And therefore, even if in the short term they will throw some crumbs at the essence of their soul, mm. they do not see your children as worthy of life. And that's the question that you need to ask and we need to ask in the future that these politicians will do to us here what they have allowed to be done to our brothers and sisters in Gaza yeah. because they don't see us or our children as human or as equally human. Thank you. And um, one final question. Um, I come across a lot of young medical students, young Muslim medical students, really talented individuals. Um, what advice would you give to them um, as they start their medical career? How do they make a real difference uh, in, in the world, uh, in their lives ahead? I think you need to now make a decision about what kind of health professional you want to be. Mm. And, and that's it's not related to um, specialization, but it's related to the essence. Do you believe that health is a commodity? Do you believe that corporations by their very essence are anti-human and anti-social entities and therefore inconsistent with health? Yeah. And then if you do that, then you, and do you ask yourself, why did I choose this profession? And if the answers are that you chose this profession because it, you want to make a difference, then you chart a life and a professional life where you do make a difference right. to the lives of others through health. You, it's a very, you are very uh, fortunate that it is the profession that brings you into the lives of others in a way no other profession does. People yeah. let you into their lives and still trust you. And you have a moral duty to serve their interests. Um, here and abroad uh, in a way that is ethical and moral. Um, actually, one real final question. Um, the last three months must have had uh, a major toll on you and, and your, um, you know, I'm, I suspect you're still processing uh, the enormity of the 43 days in, in, in Gaza. How do you stay grounded and stay resilient? Because... Um, Mashallah, alhamdulillah, you know, you've managed to uh, come back and, and do the rounds in the media and speak to as many people as possible as you are doing today. Uh, it must be a really difficult time for you. My heart uh, is still in Gaza. And my thoughts are with my patients and with my colleagues. And the only way I can accept the decision to leave is so that I can be their voice on the outside and fight the fight for them. Um, as a doctor, I, am, I have a duty of care, and that duty of care is to ensure that my patients get the treatment that they need and they get the justice that they deserve. And that's, you know, that's how I can accept the fact that I am outside Gaza while this massacre continues to happen. Will we see justice? I think eventually we will see justice. Yeah. I think we've never thought in any in our lifetime that we would see Israel's name associated with genocide in the International Court of Justice. Mm. I was speaking to someone uh, um, of a similar age to me the uh, the other day and saying, you know, having been in this country since the 80s, if we if I had told you 
at the time of P.W. Bota in the 80s that South African uh, men and women lawyers will be out taking on Israel in defense of Palestine. Mm -hmm. You would think that, that, you know, I was absolutely hallucinating. But it did happen. In our lifetime, we not only saw freedom in South Africa, but we saw South Africa try to defend the right of Palestinians for that freedom. And that, for me, is what gives me hope. As as, uh, Martin Luther King says, you know, the arc of freedom is long, but it does bend towards freedom, or the arc of history is long, but it bends towards freedom. And, And I hope that, you know, the struggle is going to be long, that this is a genocidal conclusion to the logic of settler colonialism, mm. which is predicated on the elimination of the native. But at the same time, 75 years on, we are still here. Yeah. And the struggle continues for our uh, humanity. And um, the, the world now sees Israel the way we have seen it for the last 75 years. Yes. Dr. Ghassan Awusita, thank you very much for your time today. Thank you. Please remember to subscribe to our social media and YouTube channels and head over to our website, thinkinmuslim.com, to sign up to my weekly newsletter. Jazakallah khair. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.